Hello and welcome to the latest series of the Loosehead podcast with me, Jeff Neville. This season of the podcast is focused entirely on the coaching side of the game, discussing topics like creating a positive environment, focusing on the process, overcoming ego, various aspects of player management and dealing with the wins and losses that come with the sport. A different coach will join me every week to share their expertise and experience. And this week, I'm delighted to welcome Adam Griggs, who's the Irish women's head coach. Adam, thanks a million for coming on today. How are you getting on? Yeah, pleasure to be on. Um, no, I'm looking forward to, to having a chat. It's It's been a strange time over the last few months, so um, it's nice to get things gearing up again for, for some rugby. At the time of recording, the new dates for finishing out the Six Nations have just been released. You must be really looking forward to getting back out and playing in them. Yeah, absolutely. I'm delighted that um, it, it can be confirmed now. Um, we we had a, an inkling that we were hopeful that we were going to be able to complete them. And uh, so now that it's announced, we, we've finally got some of our plans in place around, you know, what our preparation will look like going into those. And albeit it's going to be very different to, to what we did at the start of the Six Nations. But, um, you know, we always talk in our environment at the moment um, about being adaptable on the field and making sure we play what's in front of us and, and use our decision making. And uh, that's going to be even more prevalent now off the field and, and how we deal with some of the challenges and, and preparation for that. Has there been any inkling on what's going to happen in regards qualifying for the World Cup? Um, not too much at the moment. Um, they have touted some some dates at us um, that they're hopeful for, but um, the reality is at the moment they, they want to get through uh, these two Six Nations games at the end of October and then they will reassess, you know, how things are looking. And obviously for us and the teams that are to be involved in those qualifiers, um, you know, different countries have had different issues with, with COVID. So um, I think they're just taking the cautious approach at the moment, which, you know, from, from us and from the players as well, it's very understandable. So uh, we are hopeful that we'll get them um, in the side of Christmas, but we, we do have to wait and see how the next couple of months play out. Well, the reason behind asking various coaches on the podcast is to try and share their knowledge and experience. But before jumping into all that, there's a question I'd like to ask you, and it's, why do you coach? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I suppose I fell into coaching a little bit. Um, certainly when I came from New Zealand uh, into Ireland and uh, I was still playing and, and only finished a couple of years ago. But along with that, I, I started um, doing some work in the community game. And, uh, you know, that gave me a real drive actually to, to really help at that time younger kids um, that were in the game. And as I developed my own set of coaching skills um, and having, you know, decent knowledge from playing at a good level, um, I just realized that, you know, I could impart some of my own um, experiences with players. And the more um, I've gone through the ranks and the different players that I've played with, but now that I'm also coaching, um, I just have a genuine love of rugby. I've played it since I was three years old. Um, and, you know, when you, well, I guess there's an obsession there with it, but um, now it's changed from me trying to be a good player into actually helping players fulfill their potential. And um, I really just, I enjoy the game. I love watching it. And, for me, it's really about making sure players actually showcase their own talent, um, you know, while they're on the field and showing what they can do. And if I can help them with that and drive some of the standards and some of the things I've picked up myself, um, you know, it just gives me a great buzz and seeing players fulfill their potential. 
It's interesting you should say that because we often see players getting capped at a young age these days. But Bevan Parsons' first senior game was a senior Six Nations international and it's one she did incredibly well in, I'd like to add. But how did you go about helping, let's say, Bevan in that situation, a young player and taking a significant jump like that? Yeah, she's a she's a phenomenal talent and um, I can't take all the credit for how well she's doing because I think, um, you know, I saw her, um, I was actually coaching the under-18 sevens team uh, when Bevan came across our, our our eyes and we knew then she had a, a special talent. Um, and again, probably from my side, the biggest thing was making sure that she believed in what she could do um, because as a young player, you know, she's, she was, I think she was only 16. Uh, maybe she was just about 17 when, when she was capped. It was really just about giving her some self-belief. And um, she obviously had plenty to learn around the game, but what she knew um, to do when she got the ball in her hands and, and beat players one-on-one, you know, that was, that was all her. And um, she's an interesting one because she, uh, her and a, and a group of players actually came up playing against their brothers um, down in Connacht. Um, she's in Ballinasloe and they grew up with playing the boys. And I think you, you see now how, how quickly she has developed, that's really helped her game. So, you know, from my point of view, it, it was about educating her on some of the finer details um, around back three play, but ultimately, yeah, just giving her the confidence that she, she I wouldn't have put her in that situation if she wasn't good enough. Um, and, you know, you've seen over the last year now she's even um, blossoming even further. So, yeah, it's just about making sure that she knows she's got the talent to do it and um, she's good at asking questions and we try and help her along the way. So having a young player in that kind of environment, let's say if, even if it was like a 17-year-old or an 18-year-old, maybe in an AIL club like Lansdowne, mm-hmm. it would just be a sense of giving that player the... Or, or telling that player, I suppose, that you believe in them and that's why they're there. And like that's almost enough for them to back themselves. Yeah, I, I think so. It definitely comes down to the type of environment you create in training. Um, and, you know, the big thing for, a, a, say, a 17-year-old or in Baven's case was um, she was stepping into training and, and we didn't have any real um, preset measures of how she'd go. But the way we set up our training um, is very game simulated. And then to see her start to pick up things through training, then we know, okay, she's probably um, going to be good enough for, you know, for a game type scenario. So um, we, when you have them on that training field, I think it's really important that you create a bit of chaos. I know, you, you know, you would have heard Stuart Lancaster talk about it. He's big on that and being comfortable through chaos. And um, we try and do very similar things. And, um, when that young player has talent already, you put them in that chaotic situation and, and hopefully they do a couple of good things that gives them confidence. And then, you know, certainly even with a babe and it was about then sitting down with her and, and going over footage and, you know, just educating her on some of the subtleties of, of her position and actually what she can do um, a little bit more. And I think for a young player that they're, they're always naturally probably going to hang back a little bit, you know, when they move into a senior environment or there's players that have been there a lot longer than them. So they always just hang back a little bit, but when you start to show them uh, pictures of, you know, what's in front of them through footage and analysis, um, I think that adds another dimension to them getting that confidence to realize that um, there's opportunities for them to shine. 
at the same time, every coach faces challenges and those challenges can often be very different from week to week, from month to month. What are some of the biggest challenges you've faced as a coach so far? Well, I don't think there's any bigger challenge than actually taking on um, the national job after the World Cup. You know, I had a couple of years in uh, with the Leinster women in the interprovincial series, and then obviously the the World Cup was here, and it's no secret um, Ireland probably didn't do as well as they would have liked. Um, so coming into that um, at the time was probably one of the biggest challenges when I look back on it because. I knew that there would be players leaving. Um, obviously, it's, it's natural after a World Cup cycle. And I knew that we'd have to start uh, developing uh, probably a younger demographic as well of players and, and starting to build some more depth um, throughout the whole program. And, you know, the first year was pretty difficult because you had that mixture of players that weren't quite um, probably ready for international rugby. But the way our program set up, um, there is going to be in the women's game a player come from an AAL team into a national team and possibly play a test match, you know. So um, the, the Interpros, now that they are, they've been extended, it's been a big help to us. But there was probably no bigger challenge in, in rebuilding the team um, from there and, and starting to put my uh, style of play and my philosophies in those players that possibly hadn't had that um type of coaching before so that's certainly been one of the biggest challenges and as we probably come through this year you know from my point of view the, the three performances um, the two two wins at home against Scotland and Wales and then even against England when um, we didn't score any tries but being able to hold them to 27 points when they've been putting 50 points on other teams I think that really started to show that um, it always is going to be a process and it's going to take time to build the environment you like, um, to get the players really understanding the philosophy that you want to impart on them, and and then getting them to to rip back at themselves and you know see the the gold at the end of the tunnel, I suppose, where um, they understand why they're doing things and and they can see it working. And I think that was a, a real um, pleasure to watch in the last few games that were played, and hopefully we we push that on through this year as well. So after taking over that team, how did you go about installing that environment that you just spoke about? Yeah, it's interesting because I, I've looked back on it now and um, I think there was a little bit of arm around the shoulder um, to start with and, and probably, um, you know, trying to look after players a little bit that, you know, I, again, I knew it was going to take time, but every every rugby player, and certainly when you're talking international rugby players, they want things to happen uh, then and there. And so the big thing was getting them to understand that, that there's a process in it and, and it's not going to happen from day one. But, you know, we have to take small parts of the game and really focus on those. So, you know, when we came in to, to the, some of those first camps, it was really it wasn't looking at the whole game. It wasn't looking at wins or losses. We just took chunks of the game, you know. And for example, um, I placed a big emphasis in year one around the the type of ruck quality that we produced, um, where, you know, we needed to make sure we wanted to play off quick ball and use the ball. I wasn't so worried about what happened after we produced a quick ruck, um, because I knew that would come. But now in, in year three, I'm starting to look at what's happened after, because 
the the ruck is starting to look after itself a little bit more. So I think it was just a, a step by step process um, that we had to start with, and and now it's starting to probably shape our our overall game. One of the aspects of the All Blacks that I really like is the fact they tend to only worry about themselves and their own process. When preparing for a game or preparing for a competition, how much time do you spend focusing on your own process versus focusing on the opposition? Yeah, we, we spend a lot of time on it. And um, I, again, I, I think this is probably um, a little bit of a difference between the men's game and the women's game currently is that, uh, you know, everyone, certainly at Six Nations level, you know, all footage is shared. Um, so as I've said to you uh, previously, there's not there's not a lot of secrets in, in what happens. And so it, it comes down to who can do the best on, on the day. So um, we certainly look at, we do look at the teams, um, but again, this year has been a big push for us to just identify trends and, and also have the players, um, you know, certainly it's been great over the last few months because we've set the players um, a good bit of homework around analysing uh, games and not just women's games, you know, men's game as well and and trying to help them upskill themselves on identifying trends because um, I'm, I'm obviously, it's a big thing for me is that I'm not on the field with the players. And so I talk about them being adaptable and being um, decision makers. And that's probably the biggest thing in one in my philosophy um, that every player across the board is a decision maker. Uh, no matter the number on your back, you're always going to make a decision. And so having them identify those trends away uh, and through video footage and things like that has become really important to us. And then, you know, trends will look, could only be two or three a game. And so if you're only looking at two or three things from an opposition and, and what that trend is, um, you know, the rest of the, the focus in that 80 minutes is is on you and what you do with it. So, um, of course, we, we, we do look at, what other uh, teams may be trying to do. But at the end of the day, um, we know that if we get things right for ourselves, um, it genuinely uh, seems to take care of the results. So it's been, a, it's been a really good process for our players over this lockdown, that's for sure. It's something that really interests me because like, as a coach myself of a team that doesn't have videos of the opposition, I hate when players say, oh, they have such and such on, in the centre or they have such and such in the wing because purely because your mind gives your opponents attributes that they don't possess. And not only that, but your mind also undermines your own attributes. <laughs> Absolutely for some strange it does indeed. But I think it's just when you take the focus away. So, you know, when the, they do worry about a, a player or, as I say, um, we, you know, probably year one, we had players worrying about every, every ruck or every scrum or, you know, what they did off every line out where, you know, for the most part, <laughs> you can know what people are, are doing and, you know, same for us. They can know what we're trying to do. They still have to go and stop you. And and you have to be able to do the same. You have to be able to step on the field and go, I have seen this on video, but, you know, I still got to make the tackle or um, hopefully we've, you put a couple of things in place that, you know, may nullify what they're trying to do and they've still got to execute it at the end of the day. So I think that's still the biggest thing that, you can know what a team are about. You can know how they want to play. You can know what they want to do, but you still have to go out there on the field. You still have to execute what you're trying to do and uh, obviously stop stop it or, on the other side, exploit um, some weaknesses that you may have seen. In your own coaching, I know your role is the head coach, but do you look after a specific yeah, area of the, the game? Attack, uh, for our side. So uh, I've got a, a really good coach, and Kieran Hallett, who's 
also the Leinster Elite Player Development Officer. He's he's with our defence um, now, and so he's come in and added a really good job through the defensive side of the ball. Um, and then Steve McGuinness, who's our forwards coach, he looks after the the breakdown and the contact area. So he's a a wily um, back rower himself. So he loves getting his his head in here into the dark places. So um, yeah, I look after the attack. I think it's fair to say that the coach's role is never just what it says on the tin. Like there's 101 different aspects included in it. Can that get over- overwhelming? And if so, what do you do to, to ease that yeah, off? Yeah, it's something I'm learning a lot more about. And I think if you ask um, if you ask a Kira Griffin or a Sini Naupu from what I was like in, in year one and maybe what I've got to in year three, I've, I've learnt... Um, it's really important to surround yourself with good people and, and I've got two good coaches there, but it, it goes further than that. It goes through the women's program. You know, the, Anthony Udi is a great support. Um, you have management there um, that also are helping. And and so it's, it's you know, it is about delegation and um, trying to stay focused on, on your role because I probably uh, have no doubt in year one and a bit in year two, I probably got caught up in having to try to worry about everything, you know, and even things like, we've got to get on the bus on time and um you know that just adds to the stress of everything for you so i know i've got better myself at and making sure the team around me are uh doing their jobs but and that also allows me to to really focus on mine and so again i think we're starting to see benefits of that over the last year have you installed leadership groups to help you deal with kind of the odd jobs and stuff we're very big on um having it player driven and uh, again i think this is this season, the, the leadership group has really clicked up. Myself, personally, I actually had no um, uh, input into the leadership group. I let Kira uh, Griffin pick that because I just thought about it myself. And, you know, she needs to be comfortable with people around her that can help her drive the team and the messaging as well. And and she's great for you know, living up and driving standards of what she expects. And um, we're lucky that we're on the same page in that. But um, I let Kira pick that leadership team of, of players who she thought would would help her deliver her messages on the field. And so, um, again, that was something I think that's worked really well. It's, it's taken out of the coaches' hands. Um, they look after a lot of the standards that we uh, probably have installed ourselves and tried to drive. But um, I think you would have heard it before from the amount of coaches you speak to, but when the players are driving the environment and the standards, you'd certainly start to get better results um, and, and they're doing a really good job of it at the moment. That's it exactly, isn't it? Once players take, I suppose, the control of little things, such as even it could be diet, it could be recovery, like that does feed into the next part and that always makes the coach's job easier, which essentially gives you a role almost of facilitator rather than a dictatorship exactly. or whatever it may and be. That would probably certainly be my um, my personality anyway. You know, I, I spoke at the start of this about um, why I coach and I'm wanting players to fulfill their potential and show their talents and to not have to, to crack the whip and, and rather facilitate it and, and add my advice where I need to certainly helps that. And you you did right about the higher up the levels you go, things like nutrition and recovery become far more important. Um, and the leadership group have been spot on and what they want from it. And, you know, at the end of the day, happy players also make for a really good environment. And when you get into those, those close games, and um, certainly we've got some big test matches coming up, um, when they're doing it for each other and not just doing it for a coach or a manager, I, I think it pulls them together even more. Um, because as I say, 
it's probably a theme of mine, but I'm not on the field with them, you know, and you can be up in the stands screaming down a, a walkie-talkie, but uh, it doesn't mean the message always gets through. So it, it is about player ownership and, and driving the standards from, from their side of things. In the same way that players love getting feedback on what they're doing right and wrong in order to improve their game, do you look for feedback from Absolutely. your role? Again, that, that comes through the leadership group. So every every camp, the management group meet with the leadership group. And so that's been a, a it's been a brilliant for us because there would have been times we, you know, as management we think, you know, things are are ticking along nicely and all as well and then you sit down with the players who are who are in that leadership group and they can tell you a different story and um, I think it's another really important role um, of the coaches to be able to show uh, that vulnerability if things aren't, haven't gone right or you've got something wrong I think it's really important that you can put your hand up and say yep you know I, I didn't I didn't see that or I didn't get that right how do we fix it and what's your ideas as well and um, that's something I think throughout my coaching I'm getting better at again I, I talked about delegation but I think it's really important that you can um, show that vulnerability to say you know I don't know everything and maybe I thought this would work and it didn't and, and you've got another idea or well, let's go with that and it's been a key um, to the to the partnership between the leaders and the management. It is showing vulnerability, but it's also, I suppose, showing that you're taking ownership of your mistakes the same way yeah, you'd like exactly. a player to do it. You ask the players for that, you know, and you also, you've got to remember as well, you can sit in a, in a room with your squad of 35 players and call, you know, a couple of players out on and video footage of, you know, something they're not doing right. And that's tough to take as a player. And if you can't take that as a coach, um, you know, the same way back, well, then, um, you're probably going to get defensive and put your back up and then no one in the environment will move forward. You know, there'll be no growth um, if you can't do that as a, a coach as well. And I guess, again, I would probably dig into my own playing experience and having, knowing that as a player on the other side and, you know, you want to bury your head in the sand and, and get away as far as you can. But at the end of the day, if you know the coach is doing it for a good reason and he, you know, and genuinely wants to help you and show you why, or how something can be done better, I think it's a good way to be and it's, you know, chins up and, and move forward with it. One of the hardest parts of coaching is making decisions, but especially selection-wise. What advice would you have to coaches on having to tell a player that they're not being selected for a game bar? Well, obviously you'd have your reasoning behind it and you'd have all your reasoning ready to tell the player if they ask, but is there any good way of telling a player that they're not involved at the weekend? <laughs> I uh, find me a coach that says they they enjoy that conversation. Um, again, I I think it's a big part of coaching, and as I've said from year one to year three, it, it takes time. And the biggest thing I would say is you have to build a genuine relationship with every player. You know, so obviously I don't uh, look after the forwards and I don't pretend to know what's in a scrum. But at the end of the day, I'm the head coach, so I still need to have a conversation with a a hooker or a prop or whoever it may be that may not be selected. And so I've worked really hard myself on, on just having a genuine relationship with the players, you know, knowing knowing what their strengths are, obviously, um, but also knowing how to challenge them. Because I think if you can, if you know what buttons to push and how you can challenge them, that'll help you discover how they also learn and how they react. And that will get the best out of them along, along with, you know, um, a, better performance so 
I, I think that makes a conversation easier when you do genuinely have a relationship that shows that, listen, I do care about you as the individual person, but here's some pretty crappy news for you as well. And then, you know, they, they obviously will question it. And, you know, every rugby player uh, probably thinks they're the best at, at most things. And at that time, I think it's important that you, again, I would go back to, you know, video footage and statistics, but just giving them a clear picture of why they may have missed out. I think that's the most important thing. You don't want a player to walk out of that conversation going, I still don't know what he wants from me. And so um, that's been the biggest thing for me is making sure that we don't over flood them with information. You know, you don't want to give them 10 things that you think they haven't done well, but it, it may be one or two things and they may be the reason they've missed selection. And I think that's really important as well, because then if they go away and work on those one or two things, they come back and they'll make your selection job harder the next week for sure. But again, I think it always will come back to having that relationship with, with each individual and, and really knowing what um, what makes them tick and, and how they can take that news. You know, some players for me would need an arm around them and others want to get out of there quickly and, you know, run through a brick wall and show you that they're good enough. And I think that's making sure that's the important thing of knowing each player and how you can um, address that those difficult um, conversations. On the flip side, is it just as important to tell the players who are starting why they're yeah, starting? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, it, it's similar, you know, for us, we we did um, we had a couple of good games at the start of this Six Nations, and we we kept a pretty much unchanged lineup, you know. And um, it was, I think, players know in their heart anyway if they've had a good performance. Um, but again, I think it's important that they're always learning as well. You don't want them to get comfortable, but I do believe there's a, a line that you also don't want to keep every player on edge all the time. I think, as I say, if you know the individual, I think some players need to know, you know, maybe they need to know early in the week, listen, you are going to be starting. Um, this is why, uh, because you're doing this well, but then you can also probably, the conversation's easier, but here's also another couple of things you can you can work on you know and um again it, it's one of those things that it's certainly an easier conversation but you got to make sure you have some detail there and i think that's probably the one thing for me i've learned within the women's game as well is um the women do crave detail um they like to know why they're doing something they like to see visuals of of you know it working and how it's you know how you um see it working and they'll ask you questions till you're blue in the face if they don't quite get it. And so that's certainly something that's um, challenged me throughout this now is making sure that you do have your, your details sorted and that it makes sense without overcomplicating it. I think rugby's still a pretty simple game at the end of the day. If you go forward, you create quick ball, you know, you put defences under pressure, um, you score tries, and very similar with defence. If you go forward and you, you test their skills, um, then you hopefully are winning the ball back. So it is something that's certainly been I've been working on over the last couple of years myself. Was there anyone you ever worked with or coached under, or even that you were coached by, that made you realize that there's a good and a bad way of making decisions. Like I was chatting to Pat Lamb and he said that he was lucky to have been coached by some terrible coaches because it made him realize how not yeah, to do I've things as well. Had a couple of those coaches. Um, I think probably most players have. Um, again, I, I think I was very lucky. You know, I, I came through a, uh, a system when I was younger. I was in the, the Canterbury 
system and you know I was in through the sub academy um, and then obviously when I moved over here even um, playing with the, the Leinster A team in Lansdowne, I got a couple of very special coaches, I suppose, because the first year I was in there, Joe Schmidt was still with Leinster. And so even just to be able to train under him opened my eyes to probably some detail. But on the flip side of that, I had Mike Ruddock, who I think is a great man manager. And he also would probably simplify the game, but he was someone that he probably gave me a lot of um, reasons of, you know how you can deal with different players and and i would uh, make no secret you know i still talk to mike but in year one between us we had differences of opinion and and uh, you know i was probably at that age where i was happy to challenge it a little bit but um as i go back to he had answers for me and he had detail that i as a player wouldn't have seen and so when i got that it, it opened my eyes to going like geez that's that's a good way to work because you know, if a player does want to challenge you and, and all players will at some point, if you can back up uh, what you're seeing and your answers, I, I think that's also a, a real strong asset to have as a coach. You mentioned earlier in your coaching philosophy that it's important for players to feel they have autonomy, but it must be very important to completely, when they make a decision to say, okay, you have my full backing in making that decision, therefore making them more comfortable yeah. on the it pitch. It is something that definitely takes time. And even for our group, I don't think you, you probably see uh, short-term results with it. I think it's certainly something that's a, a bit of more of a slow burner. But it's, again, I think it's about having that balance of, you know, saying as a coach, I see what you wanted to do. You tell me why you did what you did. And what did you see? And then then that creates the, the conversation between you working together. So, you know, I, I have a, a big philosophy. Um, well, it's a part of the philosophy, but we, we have a big emphasis on um, first thing is you've, you've got to make a choice. So it's, you know, do commit to whatever you're going to do, commit to it 100%. The second thing with that is review what happened. So if you didn't commit to a decision 100%, you can't review what happened. However, if you did commit to it and you made your, your choice um, and you reviewed what happened, then we talk about comparing the decision you made and the execution of it. And this is probably the biggest one for us is that if you made the correct decision, but you didn't execute it, I will always tell you to do it again. Keep trying because the decision was right. The execution uh, was off. So you've got to separate those two things um, because often like the decision is correct, but you know, the execution was poor. It might be a, a bad pass when it was a, you know, it could have been a, a missed pass opportunity, but they throw a bad pass and they think, oh, I shouldn't have thrown that missed pass. Well, I'd be turning around and saying, well, actually, no, the decision was spot on, but you didn't execute what you wanted to. And then the last thing with that is obviously conclude, like what would you do differently? And so, what we've been trying to do over the last two years is actually have the players self-analyze that in the game. So, you know, literally there's been a knock on or whatever it is, a scrum happens. I'm really trying to drive the players to, to go over that in their mind. You know, what did I do? Then review it. Okay. Was the decision right? Yep. The execution was off. I'm going to, I'm going to back myself to do it again. And that's something that I think the players have responded really well to um, because Again, it gives them a bit of confidence that you've made a good decision. You might not have executed it. Um, the other side is maybe the decision was really poor. Maybe you actually executed something that, you know, you look back on and go, geez, we were lucky to get away with that. 
But again, I think it comes back to making the choice and committing to the decision 100%. Because the worst thing is having someone in a 50-50 mindset and then nothing happening. And so that's kind of the the review process that I would drive with our players. And I think um, it's been really beneficial for them. And don't get me wrong, we're, we're still working at it because, um, you know, it's very easy to make a mistake in a game and only focus on the mistake where if you can come into that learning process and review it that way, um, it, it almost helps you bounce, bounce it off and move on to the next job. The language used in that conversation is something that really appeals to me as well because it's all quite positive. You know, you're not saying, what did you do that mm. for? You're saying, what did you see? And you're not saying, you know, how could you improve it? Which almost says, you know, that's a negative. You say, what could you have done differently? Which opens different avenues for the, the player maybe yeah, to explore. It's, it's big in keeping that language positive. I think, it, again, you know, you ask, how does a player feel confident to do that? And I think, um, you know, having everyone, having your management, having your staff, uh, everyone kind of have that language and keep things positive like that it is big in terms of keeping your environment solid and, and steady and, and, you know, giving those players that real backing to, to go out and do it because, again, ultimately they're the ones that can win a game for you, um, not, not the coaches in the stand. You've played and coached in the AIL and it's a league that I, I have huge interest in myself because while it is amateur, some of the top teams are almost professional in their carry. But did the experience you had there help you in preparing for coaching at a higher level? Yeah, absolutely. It, it certainly did. Um, I, I really enjoyed my time in the AIL um, and, and it's something that I think, you know, even um, from from both sides, the men's and women's, that um, hopefully it keeps growing because... Um, again, in, in a funny way, it's probably prepared me the best for the team, for the national women's team, because our players, are, I wouldn't say they're amateur, I'd say they're semi-professional, um, because what they what they commit to and what they go through in a season, it's just huge, and there's sacrifices made there, and where I feel um, that I've probably got a, a good balance is, you know, I've I've also played AAL where, you know, you're working during the day and you come into trainings at night and then you've got to get a, an extra fitness session in um, before, you know, your weekend's taken up by possibly away games and, you know, travelling. And so our, our players at the moment, um, while we're a national team, um, you know, they've still got life outside of rugby that, that has to keep them moving forward. And so I think that's given me a, a really good experience of uh, trying to, I suppose help the players a little bit as well you know like we've had different situations with different players where it's not one size fits all um for groups you know different players outside of rugby have, have different things going on and there's there's different issues or that they have to deal with and making sure that you uh, know that and can understand where they're coming from and trying to get a balance of well you know if you if you need time away you know you can be away as long as you can come back in and you know, you're fully focused. And I think that's the biggest thing is players respect that, that um, I have no problem if there's, you know, issues or, or life gets in the way of things at the end of the day, because there are those things like rugby is hugely important. It's what we all love. But at the same time, um, there are other things in life that also go on as well. And so um, it's certainly getting that balance right and, and going through it myself has been hugely beneficial taking it into my coaching. 
I find especially at that level, it almost adds an extra layer of challenge to it because you might be saying, okay, on Saturday, we're going to have a hit out, let's say, for example, AVB or whatever way you want to put it. And suddenly a player will arrive up after coming off a 12 hour shift. I mean, you're not going to say to that player, right, I don't care. You're still in. You now have an extra, you, you, you now have something extra that you have to manage it, and it to is, work around. Exactly. You know, we've got, um, we've got nurses and we've got doctors in our, in our squad, you know, who certainly through the last few months have, have been flat out. And if you can get that balance right. And as I say, like we've had that before, like it's a really good example. Like, uh, Linda De Jong, who's obviously a nurse herself, you know, throughout the Six Nations, she was that that player, um, doing ten, twelve hour uh, days, and then trying to turn up to a camp on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, where she's, you know, that's her days off. And so, you know, I don't think she'd mind me saying, but there was one day I told her not to come in. Um, I don't want to see her on the Friday, and she was. She was mortified at that because, you know, she's then thinking, but then now I can't get selected. You know, I'm going to miss the training. But at the end of the day, more importantly, she needed some rest. You know, she needed to switch the brain off. And, and there's no mistake that our environment, when when the players come in, uh, um, it's it can be intense, you know, because we don't have all week together. We we have those, those weekends where we have to prepare. So everything's kind of compressed into that weekend. So it can be full on. And if, you, if you're not, up for it or you've had a big week uh, it's important to make sure that actually this this time rest is more important than you sitting and you know watching video footage or, or doing line outs and so um getting that balance is something that's always going to be a work in progress but it, it, i think it goes back to knowing your players you know and having that genuine relationship that um they're not too they're not as worried or frightened that they'll miss a selection if you're telling them to take a night off because at the end of the day they've got a put their best hand forward and if they're, they're flat out all week and tired and they come and they try and train without letting you know they probably aren't going to train that well and then that probably has more an effect on selection rather than having a night off and getting your your rest in so you know we, we definitely have those challenges and even now coming back into to our camps before the these six nations games we're, we're very different to how the academy uh, players are run and obviously the the provincial men's teams um, because they're able to, you know, get in their bubble and, and stay in that bubble at the moment where our players still have jobs and are, are still working and that means they come in contact with other other people in the general population rather than just uh, high-performance staff. So that's a, another challenge added to uh, what's the last few months as well. When you were coaching in the AIL, did you look to install professional behaviours in yeah. the club? Um, I think, in fairness, I didn't. I didn't have to drive that too much. I think the, the players in in that league, you know, I think they're there for the right reasons. I, I genuinely do. I think they're they're there to, you know, enjoy the rugby, but they're also trying to play as well as they can and and win trophies and you know win big games and get to. To finals and so it wasn't um it wasn't something that i actually concentrated on too much it was probably more just trying to upskill players really um and and i suppose in one way there is i guess you could call it like the professionalism but even things like you know actually you know stay for 20 minutes after training's finished and i think you, you again you, you probably approach it a little bit differently because the players are there to get better and you just have to make sure that there is that balance of showing them 
um, that you're, you're there to help them. Um, but yeah, it wasn't something I had to overly focus on too much because as I say, they're, they're all pretty pretty serious um, rugby players there. And so it's, it was always enjoyable. Taking all the experience you've had up to now with the national team, if you went back to the AIL now, is there anything you'd do differently looking back? Yeah, I think there's probably a, a few things. I, again, I think possibly... I wouldn't look too far back in what's been, but I know uh, I've got better as a coach. I know that I've probably got a better understanding of, of how my own personal communication works, you know, with players. Um, and then as everyone, you know, when you get to spend, like I'm very lucky, I get to spend, um, you know, my days analysing rugby and watching <laughs> copious amounts of, of games you know and so that's helped me get better as a coach as well so I think you know I'm certainly still on that path and, and we spoke about it before I, I really I love the values um, that rugby has because you can you could go to any coaches um, even in the high performance area and um, they're, they're willing to share and so that always helps you grow and, and learn anyway so um, it's something that if I was able to go back, I, I certainly have a few things up my sleeve I'd love to implement. Um, but at the moment, the the focus is on with the, the women and trying to make them as good as possible as, as they can be. Well, Adam, the last question I'll ask you is one I like to ask coaches. What advice would you give to young coaches or coaches starting off in the game? For me, I would say uh, to not overcomplicate it. I, I, as I've said before, um, you understand the game of rugby uh, you understand, you know, yourself and you have a, a philosophy that you truly believe in. The biggest thing is, is trying to find the most simplest way of getting your message across. And, um, you know, you probably see coaches that have big playbooks, lots of pages, lots of great moves, but you've got, there's a couple of things with that. You've got to understand your players and, and what skill level they're at and what they're capable of, um, because there's no point you know, say that the All Blacks use, but your, you know, your 10 can't throw a 20 metre pass. Um, so understanding your players and probably keeping it um, as simple and effective as possible would be something from me. And, and when that comes into training and trying to really replicate match-like scenarios, you know, training that replicates the game where players get that, get comfortable I suppose, like we've said in the chaos, but also get comfortable in knowing that I'm training for something because this is going to be implemented on the field come Saturday when we play um, is certainly a couple of things I would, would be my advice. Adam, I'd like to say a massive thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast and to discuss everything. And I really appreciate it. And I hope any coaches who listen in appreciate yeah, it just no, as look, much. Um, thank you for having me. And as I've said as well, I think you're doing a, a brilliant job and you have some great guests that have come on and imparted their knowledge. So um, it's brilliant to see and, and keep it going. Right, thank you very much. And best of luck with the upcoming rugby. And I hope it all goes well for you, be it the remaining Six Nations or the qualifiers. You know, I'm really looking forward yeah, to seeing what I happens. Appreciate that. Happy to chat. and. Rugby's the, the thing I'm into, and so, as I said, sometimes the conversations go other ways. So no, I was uh, happy to happy to do it, mate. And as I said, I think it's great what you're doing. So hopefully you get uh, plenty of listeners and, and keep it going. That's it from me today, folks. If you'd like to hear more of the Loose Head podcast, you can catch it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to follow, review, and rate, and check back in with the next episode. Thanks a million, and good luck. 